Welcome to Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, what's going on, Matthew? How are you? Thanks for having me, Javon. I'm super happy to be here with you today. Hey, happy to have you, man. You've done a lot in the business space, so we are going to delve into all that knowledge of yours. But before we get there, the first question I ask every guest is, who are you? Who is Matthew Kimberly? Oh, wow. You cut straight to the essence cut straight of my to it. being. Dear, dear Lord. I know. You know, just a guy trying to do his best in the world, trying to make sure his kids are proud of him, trying to leave it a little bit brighter than when I left. You know, what I really like doing is helping people. And I don't mean that in a, in a trite way. But if we look very essentially at what I've been doing for the last 15 years or so, it's transferring knowledge that I have to people who don't yet have that knowledge. So if I can do that a little bit every day in a way that's not arrogant or brash and, and leaves people slightly more equipped to sell stuff, to deal with the uncertainties of self-employment, then I think I've done a good job. I want to leave them with a smile on their face as well. Leave them with a smile on their face. <laughs> well, when you're making more money and you're feeling good, feeling great, how can you not smile, right? And you've done that through so many different ways. You took the role of the CEO of Book Yourself Solid. You've written an insightful book called Get a Fucking Grip. You have the single malt club. Let's talk about some of that. How do you manage to do all of these things and still have that time for the family? Well, look, it's been a long journey. I spent the first 10 years of my life professional life, I guess, doing an apprenticeship in selling. I sold various things. I sold timeshare apartments. I sold professional services. I sold double glazing windows. And then late 20s, I figured I knew enough to branch out on my own. And I started a technology recruitment company, which was fine, but it was not exciting. And I'm a brat. I need to wake up with a little bit of passion, something to get excited about every day. And unfortunately, this technology recruitment company just wasn't giving me that. So in my evenings and weekends and sometimes lunch breaks, and honestly, sometimes when I should have been working, I started writing a blog and it was advice to myself. It was how to get a grip. This was back in the late 2000s when very few people had a blog and somebody said, oh, we like this. And that somebody happened to be a publisher who turned it into a book. And, and so that kind of happened by accident. I've always enjoyed writing creativity, but I guess in retrospect, I'm very proud of the book and it got reissued again 10 years after it was first published wow. and turned into an audio book with a new sweary title to kind of catch the tail end of books with cuss words in the title. <laughs> and I'm very proud of that, but it sits alongside what I really, really enjoy, which is teaching people how to sell. So I've done various iterations of that. Self-employed sales trainer, second in command at Book Yourself Solid under Michael Port. And then I became first in command of Put Yourself Solid when Michael Port retired to do something else. And the thing about Mastermind and the School for Selling and the various other programs that I've run over the years have partly been in response to what I believe my audience is interested in. But really, honestly, Javon, it's been in response to what I feel like doing. And you asked, how do I manage to do these things and also have time for the family? I'm really proud to say that at this stage of my career, time is something I have in abundance. I have time in abundance, partly because of the reps I put in over the first decade, I think. I remember reading Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek, probably one of the first books I read before I got into entrepreneurship back in the 2005, 2006. And I thought it seemed like an unattainable dream, but 
it didn't come overnight, but a four to eight hour work week is not an unreasonable expectation of myself at the moment. And my family situation at the moment means that my oldest son who has special needs is off in a different country trying to pursue an education there that might be more appropriate. So I'm a full-time single dad to a 10-year-old and a dog who has school every day and homework and soccer practice and extracurriculars and swimming and sleepovers and friends. And he gets put on the school van at 7.30 and comes off the school van at 3.30. And then normally my day finishes. But I make small accommodations. Like a few years ago, I would never have done a video podcast interview from my kitchen. (laughs) But why not? If I can get the boy off the school van and cook him dinner as soon as we're done, then of course I'm going to do it for my kitchen. I've become very selfish. No, I mean, in selfish, you know, a lot of people look at that word as a negative, but look at what his major life, you know, this is designing life and business. So this is the perfect podcast for us to talk about that, Matthew. Like when you talk about what life looks like, how did you figure that that is what you wanted along your journey? It changes. It continues to change. Life is made up of seasons and sometimes the season is full of sunshine and delight. And sometimes the season is full of gloominess and misery. And it's a bit like flying business class or first class in an airplane. Once you've tasted it, it's very difficult to go back and sit in the... I like to think I would, you know, I'm not so proud to say that I wouldn't go and pump gas for my family or wait tables. I absolutely would if I needed to. But after you break through this kind of ceiling of belief about what is possible, you know, I no longer believe there is any correlation between the number of hours that I personally work and the amount of money that I make for example. And this was a, maybe not a limiting belief, it was a belief that I had that is very legitimate for the vast majority of people in most professional situations. Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely legitimate. (laughs) And hard work is everything. Hard work, it really is. I'm not averse to hard work. How did I decide? I don't know, Javon, and I still don't know myself super well. There, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, okay, that was good, Matthew, and could definitely do better there. Some structure some routine to the day. You know, I think if I wasn't the father of a young child right now, my working day would look very different. I would have different motivations. My motivations might be to make a massive impact on the world, which absolutely isn't my motivation at all. My motivation in that respect is to make a decent impact on the person in front of me. And if you can do that over and over again and retain it, but it really changes. If you'd asked me when I was 27, I said, I'll be retired when by the time I'm 35. No question. And I have $15 million in the bank and I'll be retired. That was my motivation when I was 27. And then I became a dad and then I was working 50 hour weeks and I hated it. I thought, I can't wait till I'm 35 to relax and have fun. What can I do next year, (laughs) which is going to be enjoyable. So I don't want to retire age 35. And now age 43, I'm very, very happy to continue as long as I can continue to provide for my family and, and not look too carefully at the price tags in the grocery store. There you go. (laughs) Right. That's when you know you're okay. when you got to check every price. So you've gotten there. You have this. You've written it a while ago. It's called the five things to do every morning to get clients in 60 days. You delve into five strategies, the nurture, the pursue, the prospect, the move and the make. Can you talk about how that is done in practice? Because you've done sales, you've run multimillion dollar organizations, masterminds. Can you tell us a little bit more about that strategy? One of the questions that people ask when they're self-employed or even, frankly, when they're in any sales job is, what's the most useful way that I can spend my time? Now, if you're just starting out and you don't have a single client, you really should be dedicating, assuming you're a bootstrapped self-employed person and not a VC-backed SaaS company, you really should be spending all of your time on client acquisition and getting in front of prospects because you can spend 
three years tweaking your product or creating your offer or your service. But until you've got real world data about whether people are buying it and whether people are enjoying it and whether people like you and whether you're a trustworthy organization that people are happy to invest their money in, it's all for nothing. So especially the question kept coming up of clients of mine who were busy enough that they were neglecting tomorrow's business. So why aren't you doing more sales and marketing client delivery? I'm just too busy. I've got three clients who need me right now. I've got these reports to write. I've got this stuff to do. And you end up in the feast and famine cycle where, okay, I've had this brilliant client on a retainer for the last three years or last three months, and all of a sudden they've gone, what am I going to do now? So I put together these five things based in part on the Book Yourself Solid mandatory self-promotion strategies and based in part on my experience to give somebody with zero experience a blueprint for a minimum effective dose of sales and marketing activity every day that could be done within the hour or even quicker if you're efficient, which just ensures that tomorrow's business has been kind of looked after. So the first one, you'll have to remind me because I really it. What do I call it? Nurture existing relationships. Yeah. So this is the network of 90 from Put Yourself Solid where you've got relationships with people who can give you a leg up. You can jump on their shoulders or they're one rung up the ladder ahead of you, or they know people that might become your prospects one day. These are influential people, useful people. And unless you nurture those relationships, you're going to be someone who shows up when they want something. Hey, can you email your list? Well, you know, I'm not averse to it, but seeing as you only contact me once every three years to ask me exactly the same question, maybe no. Maybe you could have said, how's your kids? Or do you want to grab a drink? Or congratulations, I really enjoyed your latest podcast episode or something. It's maintaining high quality relationships. So you're going to pick three, two, three people with whom you have a relationship and just make sure that relationship doesn't disappear into the ether. Now, our friends will always be glad to hear from us, even if it has been four or five years. But when it comes to business, if you're the CEO of any organization, typically you do only two things. One is make relationships stronger. The second one is overall strategy for the direction of the business is relationships. So relationships are everything. You will not go anywhere near as far on your own as you will with the support of a good group of people, a board of advisors. The second one is probably create or, or create new relationships. Add somebody to your business network who you don't already know. Drop a line to a stranger. Introduce yourself. Grow your circle of influence. Grow your circle of friends. Javon, we don't have a history together, but now we have a, a today. And I hope that we remain in contact in the months and years that come, for example. And um, we will. <laughs> yeah. Because no I'm big on the nurture part as well. <laughs> there we go. So you've got to move your existing relationships forward all the time. You've got to create new relationships. And then I think you've got to start kind of prospecting, which is really about getting people to raise their hand. So what is prospecting? What is lead generation? How do we measure it? For the vast majority of my clients, we measure it in new data. So if somebody gives you their email address or gives you their telephone number or fills in a form on your website or raises their hand or makes a telephone inquiry, that's great. We've done a good job. We have generated a lead. And when my clients come to me and we say, is my Instagram marketing effective? I don't, the only question is, is it effective? I can't say, oh, that's great. It looks great. Well done. Your branding is beautiful. So those things are important. But if they're not actually generating the lead. And so there's a bit of a schism or a bit of confusion around what is sales and what is marketing. Writing an email to your mailing list is not marketing. You've already got their contact details. Right. It's trust building, but it's essentially sales. Marketing is getting new contact details. And if you look at your sales pipeline, your job is to move, number four, 
somebody from the left-hand side of the screen to the right-hand side of the screen. So you've got prospects who's raised their hand and says, I'm interested in a demo. Your job then is to move them to the next stage of the sales pipeline, which is to arrange that demo. And then to the next stage, which is to make a proposal based on the demo. And to the next stage, which is to call them up and say, hey, are you going to buy my thing or not? Until they jump into bed with you or run away screaming. But we have to have enough people in our funnel or in our pipeline or in our mailing list or in our database in order to make sales offers. And making sales offers is as simple as picking up the phone to somebody and saying, hey, I really enjoyed meeting next week. I'd love to explore working together. Can, can we have a chat? Or it can be sending out an email to your mailing list saying, oh, by the way, I've got this really cool course. It only costs 50 bucks. And if you haven't bought it yet, now's a great time to do it. If you're not reminding people that you have investable opportunities, then you're kind of stuck. So there you know, five, four, five, even six or seven basic things which are all related to tomorrow's business. How are my relationships? Do I have good relationships? Am I adding new people to my mailing list? Am I moving my sales pipeline? Am I you know, giving it a good dose of sales laxative every day so that deal flow comes through and out the other end nicely? And am I creating new deals by reminding people that they can purchase something? There is a direct correlation between the number of sales offers that we make and the amount of sales that we make typically, as long as there's enough fresh eyes on those offers. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you talked about the, you know, nurturing being the key. And I know a lot of the listeners like, you know, I want to nurture more relationships, but again, the time aspect comes in and I haven't spoken to this person for two years now. How do you go about just revamping that relationship when you know that you want it to be refreshed? Little and often is far more effective than, oh, crap, it's been six years. How do I earn my right to be in this person's sphere of right. you know, orbit again? Which is why little and often, and really, I use an app called Dex, which is other apps exist. You can use a spreadsheet. You can use a, any kind of personal CRM. I particularly like Dex. It sits on my phone and it says, hey, you told us that this person is important to you and they haven't heard from you in 30 days. Or it's this person's birthday or it's this person's wedding anniversary or you were meant to have coffee with this person. And so I have a quick look and I'll fire off two or three text messages on my phone text message or an email or a voice note or something mm. like that. The last one I sent yesterday was, hey guys, it's been a while since I told you I love you. That was it. It was as simple as that. You don't have to be, you know, can we explore synergies or nonsense like that? Yeah. You can say that, but it's much less easy to do than, than to go out and just be a human being in the world. And the kind of people are not necessarily people who are going to buy your thing, but they're people with whom you have a connection who can get you exposure to more people. Maybe they own, maybe they're journalists. Maybe they're influencers, maybe they're authors, maybe they're conference organizers, maybe they're particularly well-connected people. You know, I like to affiliate for my friends. I like to send email promotions mm. for my friends, not because I necessarily want the money, although sometimes that's nice, but typically because it's a show of support. So, ah, Matthew, you know, some of my stronger relationships in my life have been a result of making that approach to a stranger and saying, oh, I really love your product. I really love your service. Is it okay if I tell my people about it? And they'll say, yeah, like sure. That. And you send them 20, 30, 50, 100 customers, or even just some eyeballs. Say nice things about people. If you've got an author or a journalist or somebody, maybe an actor or a DJ or a musician or anyone that you would like to have a relationship with in the future, social media has made that really accessible. I mean, there are a lot of demands on people's times, but it costs you nothing to slide into somebody's DMs or to leave a positive review of their book on Amazon. Because I think even... J.K. Rowling is reading her Amazon reviews, right? Even the author of Harry Potter. So it doesn't hurt to 
invest three or four minutes. Now, if you end up investing hours and hours, you end up coming across as the kind of person who invests hours and hours getting people's attention, which is either weird or clearly commercial. But put yourself in the right place at the right time, and you will find that you gradually start to graduate from the peripheries of somebody's awareness to the center of somebody's awareness. And as long as they don't scratch you with a restraining order, then you're good. <laughs> right. So what are your favorite ways to get that one to many, right? You got many eyes on you. What are some of your preferences to get those new leads and generate those prospects? Back to relationships. My mailing list is tiny compared to the big boys, but it's very profitable per name, or at least very revenue generating per name. Almost all of it has come. I don't think I've ever paid for a name, not directly. You know, right. I, might have, I might have paid to speak at a friend's conference. They said, well, you can speak, but I can't pay you. I'm like, that's okay. You know, I'll jump on a plane. I'll stay in a hotel. But then I speak to 100 people or 300 people. And some of them will say, oh, we want to hear more about Matthew. Or I tell people about my friends. And I say, hey, look, Amy's got a thing you should check out. Or Todd has got a thing that you should check out. And when I then say, hey, you know, it'd be great if you could tell your people about me. Because it's a busy, ultimately, it sounds avaricious, but it's, we're doing it for business reasons. But we don't have to do it ask first. We may never ask at all. And, you know, most of my friends have written about me just out of the sheer joy of making me smile. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a people well, pleaser. And sometimes it comes back to you. Sometimes it comes back to you. I, I think if I work hard enough to please them, then they may just occasionally mention me or say, oh, that's cool. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you're an easy person to like, Matthew, because I'm on your newsletter. You know, that's really how I grew interest. Right. Of course, I knew about Michael Port, Book Yourself Solid, read the books, you know, looked at the program and everything. And the membership is relatively for the value you get is not expensive at all. So it's like I've known you. I've been in your space. And I mean, your emails are so entertaining. So I'm like, you know, I just reached out to you. It was like, hey, man, I would love to have you on my podcast. And it was simple as that. So that's why I'm like, you know, everything you're saying is exactly how you live. Right. You didn't say, hey, how many people do you have? Listen, you were just like, hey, sure. You know, let me know some more information and then let's set it up. So it's like you have to put yourself out there sometimes to get to people to have these conversations, to get those relationships, to be able to nurture them. And it's like when you have people such as yourself, who many might see like, oh, he's, he's going to be unreachable. But a lot of business owners don't realize that it just takes that confidence or you don't even have to be confident. You just have to do it sometimes. Just reach out to people, man. And you'd be so surprised at what relationships you can establish these days. The ramifications of a no are close to zero. Zero. You know, if, if someone says no to you, you say, okay, thanks for entertaining the idea. Maybe we can do this again. You know, traditionally, salespeople were taught that no just means not yet. And that's not, not true. You know, sometimes no is no. And that's okay. So people don't mind being asked to buy. They don't mind being asked for, you know, do you want to come on my podcast? People don't mind that. They do mind if you don't listen to their reply. So if I'd said, Javon, listen, thanks very much. I'd love to, but the timing's just not right. Come back in a year. If you'd said, yeah, cool, I would have been fantastic. And I almost owe you one because I asked you for something. You said, yes, then when you come back in a year, I'd be more obliged to say, more inclined to say no. But if you said, well, Matthew, hang on, let's see. It's only going to take half an hour. Why don't we see if we can get something in before the end of this year? I'd be like, man, you didn't listen. Yeah, You didn't listen. I don't know if you've ever been single in the age of dating apps, but I have. And yes. When you first get started on the dating apps, you are afraid, or I was, because this confidence isn't innate. 
it comes with experience. You know, confidence is I've put myself in this situation enough times to have a reasonable expectation that I can cope with the outcome. <laughs> you know, I feel relatively confident when I get on stage because I've been on stage a thousand times. Was I confident the first time I got on stage? No, of course not. Was I confident when I first swiped right on somebody that I liked on Tinder? No, I was terrified that I was exposing myself. I was like, oh, but if I show her I like her, then I'm in a position of weakness and I'll get my heart broken and she's going to think I'm an idiot. And, and after a little while, it just becomes, well, what's the worst that can happen if I say, hey, I'm here, I like you. Let's, do you want to have lunch? Do you want to have dinner? Do you want to come to my podcast? What's the worst that can happen? I say no. Yeah, there goes those offers, right? If you don't put out that offer, you don't have a shot. We hear that quote all the time. I think it's Gretzky. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? So there that goes. So you also discussed with your sales pipeline, you discussed visualizing the pipeline as a series of stages. In your experience, which stages along that pipeline do people struggle with most? The follow-up after the initial offer. So it's easy to get people to see the offer. Typically, it depends on the business. You know, if you're selling nuclear submarines to South American governments, it might take you years to get to the offer stage. You know, might... But typically, what I hear from the self-employed, non-trained salesperson is, should I follow up? They said they get back to me. And the answer to that is always, yes, you should. And what's more, you should have them. And this comes from, um, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar, which is a Love sales that. book, one of the greatest sales books ever written by David Sandler. And he talks about being in control of the follow-up. So you actually have a micro-commitment with your prospects. And if they say, look, that sounds great. I'll get back to you. You say, yeah, that sounds fantastic. When do you want to get back to me? Do you want to get back to me tomorrow or on Monday? And they'll go, oh, I might need a little bit of time, you know, not wanting to commit. And you say, listen, I'll tell you what, let's, let's keep it super simple. If I haven't heard from you by Wednesday, I'll drop you a note and you just give me a yes or a no, or I've got more questions. Is that okay? We used to, when I worked in Timeshare, we had an expression which was the be back bus will never be back. Mm. If someone says, thanks very much, let me go away and think about it, I'll be back. They won't ever be oh. back. Not because they don't necessarily like your offer or, they, or it's not valuable. It's just out of sight, out of mind. I actually prefer, funnily enough, to allow people, unless they've come, they said, no, I'm ready to buy. I want to buy now. I would much rather say to somebody at the end of a sales conversation, which flies in the face of all traditional sales training, listen, I don't know if it's right for you yet. You don't know if it's right for you yet. Why aren't you going to think about it for 48 hours? And then I'll get back in touch and we can discuss what the next steps are. I like that because it means that 100% of my customers, they've slept on it and I can never be accused ever be accused of applying pressure. You know, something else from the Sandler books, which is, you know, dangerous in the wrong hands and can be manipulative in the wrong hands is the takeaway. So he talks about having a pendulum that swings. And if you ask Javon, how warm are you on this offer? And you'd be like, well, you know, 70, 80%, I'd say it's looking pretty good. And I might say, well, look, 70 or 80% doesn't cut it. I can't have anybody in my business who's not like at least 95%. So I'm sorry, but based on your answer just now, I don't think you're a good prospect for this whatsoever. So what I've done is I've taken the pendulum from 70% down to 5% chance of you getting it. Mm. But when I release it, if you bite and you're like, oh, no, 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 what I really mean is, and they go, <laughs> and it goes all the way back up. That takeaway can be quite powerful. But I'd say that's advanced selling strategies that don't necessarily need to be mastered in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> not being needy is a very important one. You have to be detached from the outcome or you won't ask the right questions. Mm. And, you know, one of the fundamental principles of Put Yourself Solid is that we don't work with anyone. We carefully audition and we qualify our clients. And we call it the red velvet rope policy. It's like having a bouncer on the door for your business. If you let anybody into your nightclub, 
But if you let anybody into your business, guaranteed that somebody somewhere is going to have a bad time. And definitely the owner of the establishment because you've let the wrong people in. It doesn't mean they're not right for another business or another nightclub. Certainly the nightclubs I go to now are not the same nightclubs. Well, I don't go to nightclubs anymore. The establishments that I go to now are completely different to the ones I used to enjoy in my 20s. But if I tonight went out to a cabaret club, a whiskey bar, a cigar lounge, something like that, and 22-year-old Matthew bounded in drinking six pints of Bud Light in half an hour and trying to kiss all the girls on the dance floor, I'd be like, you've let this wrong guy in. But 20-year-old Matthew would be very happy in a, somewhere down the road. Right. So you get to determine who you work with. And if you sit in front of a client and you say, I really, really need this person to buy, then you lose all your power. That is so key because it's that mindset piece, right? It's like, I need this versus, hey, you know, I think this will be right for you. But if you don't want it, you relinquish that. You're like, okay, maybe they weren't the right fit because then you're going to take those clients who become issues, who become troublemakers that you're talking about. Then you're going to realize it wasn't worth it in the first place, right? That dollar value just didn't match up with the stress you're probably going to receive because those clients are usually the hardest ones to work with. Those ones you knew just weren't right or you had to work a little too hard because they're like, oh, prove to me that you deserve me as a client versus, hey, we're just going to, we have that. Right fit. Right. So when I train, I, I very, very rarely, if ever, train corporate clients anymore just because I prefer the hunger of a self employed person. But occasionally this came up all the time. You know, if you go to a corporate account, they'll be like, okay, pitch us. Why should we choose you? And that's when traditionally, I mean, back in my day, you get out the ring binder with the laminated pitch deck, which you printed <laughs> off and, and you talk through all the features and benefits. Or now it's probably done on an iPad or something. But really, the only correct response to, so why should we choose you, is, well, I don't know if you should. That's what I'm here to find out. Let me ask you some questions. Flipping the script. And you know, I think you asked me earlier about still having time for family, and I explained that time is something that I have in abundance. Because of the five things, because of gentle nurture, gentle prospecting, daily drips, which are just like, hey, I still exist, or jump in over here, or tell a friend about me, or because of the relationship capital that I continue to invest in, the biggest luxury that I have in my business is saying no to opportunities because I get pitched often enough. Do you want to do this? Would you be interested in this? We'd love you to join the board of this organization. Could we have some of your time over here? Can you give me a couple of hours? These are almost always now, uh, no, thank you, but not right now. And that's because, A, knowing that the Red Velvet Road policy, who you work with and how you spend your time and protect your energy, coupled with the knowledge that comes with the confidence of having done it for a decade and a half, but also with the confidence of doing the reps, that there will be business tomorrow. Mm. Somebody will do business with me tomorrow. It gives the greatest luxury in the world, which is choosing how you spend your time, choosing your gigs. And sometimes, of course, you end up doing things you don't really want to do, but you do it in service of another person. You do it in service of a greater good like sitting on the sidelines of my kid's soccer practice for nine hours a week in the driving <laughs> rain when I could be at home with a glass of wine. I don't enjoy it. I love making him happy. I love it when he looks over once every 45 minutes and goes, and I go, yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying you have to you know, be completely selfish and brattish about how you spend your time, but being able to say no is one of the greatest luxuries of business to clients, to opportunities, to projects. That's the best boundary you can have is no. Those two letters are the most powerful. 
we're going to shift to our by design segment, but I have one question. You've seen a lot. You've been at this for a while. So are there any upcoming trends or shifts that you foresee in business that we should be preparing for now? I don't know. I'm not a futurist. I have deliberately stepped back from technology. You know, I probably wouldn't know how to put a blog post up anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm not joking, you know, which, you know, but I, I, I just got to this day. Maybe you know, I can still do the emails and things like that. Uh, content is not going to be in short supply anytime soon. 2006, I had a blog. There weren't many blogs. There weren't many aggregators. Social media didn't even exist. And now with chat GPT, artificial intelligence, I can create a novel a day, if not more, frankly, right. probably a dozen novels a day. That is clearly going to be a distinct advantage to the early adopters in terms of reach, in terms of being able to net more fish, get more prospects in, be more prolific. I'm doubling down on intimacy now. I'm looking at quality of conversations. Instead of doing things at scale, I'm not interested in having a thousand person launch. On the contrary, I find launches to be stressful and unpredictable and unwieldy. I'm actually going to start teaching a model, which I'm a huge fan of for coaches and single person entities mm -hmm. in the very near future, which is going to be called five clients in a telephone. So a lot of my clients say, look, I want six figures a year and I want to work half a day a week. And that's something that I've got experience with. I do other things. I've got products and courses and, you know, fingers in a couple of pies. But if you can please, if you can find five people who have a problem that's worth paying you for. Maybe they pay you two, $3,000 a month. It has to be the right person. It has to be the right offer. You have to be the right person to be making that offer. Right. You have to be able to communicate that. They have to stick with you for a little while. But these people exist. They're everywhere. I once hired a personal trainer, a virtual personal trainer for $3,000 a month because it was a problem. Because it was, I don't pay that now. I pay considerably less than that now. But at that stage of my life, I knew that unless it hit my wallet, I was going to ignore it. We've heard of matchmaking coaches or matchmakers who will charge their clients a $150,000 retainer to yep. find them a partner. Why? Because their clients are elderly gentlemen who have more money than they know what to do with, but they don't have anybody to share their life with. And that's what's missing. So if you're a business coach like I am, I would say, don't come and work with me for three, $4,000 a month. If your problem isn't worth a hundred or $200,000 a year minimum, <laughs> you know, don't go, go to somebody else. Yes. But if you can find that person and then you can do asynchronous coaching with them, you can do Voxer, you can do occasional telephone calls. We don't have to sit down on Zoom anymore. That's something else I'm moving away from. I want to do all of my meetings, podcast interviews with good-looking gentlemen accepted, of course. I want to do all of my interviews or conversations walking and talking. I like walking my dog. I like sipping coffee. I live in the Mediterranean. I like to walk along the beach. Why can't I talk to a client while I'm doing that? I can. So I can have these conversations with clients for $10,000, $15,000, a month really only an hour a day or less. And that's deeply attractive to a lot of people who are entering pre-retirement. They've been hustling, they're slightly older, they want to slow down, they're fed up of doing 60-hour weeks, but they still need to be able to fly business class every now and again. You yeah. know, So I'm, I'm actually focusing on how we can do everything tighter and better. The, the idea of massive scale for tiny businesses is so novel, and it's really been a result of the internet. If 15, 20 years ago, you were not a one-person business with 3,000 customers. You, you weren't. There was no way of making that happen. 
if you were in the information product space, which has been around for you know, decades, you had mailing centers. You had copywriters, you were doing direct mail, you were doing self-addressed envelopes, you were putting ads in newspapers. It was a full-scale operation. But now anybody can scale. And I'm saying everybody can, but you don't have to. You don't have to. Absolutely. And I, I like the intimate aspect as well. So I'm with you. So let me know when that comes out, man. That sounds like more up my alley because I love yeah. the setting because I'm not here to serve a million people at once and just give them this basic general thing that I know is not going to be a hit them all. You know, I'm more like you. I want to make sure that this is a fit for you because I only want to work with people who are going to put in that work, who are going to get value out of it, not just give me money. Right. <laughs> so I'm with you on that one. Let's shift to our by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. First question, what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? Self-discipline. Give me an inch, I'll take a mile. Tell me I can take the morning off and I'll take the week off. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that. that's an issue. Yeah. I don't have a scarcity mindset anymore. I grew up in an environment where scarcity was a thing. We don't have money. Other people do things like that. That's how the other half live. I've shed that, but I still use scarcity as a motivator sometimes to get off the couch and go and make some dollar bills for next year. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> self, self-discipline, for sure. Self-discipline. And frankly, that's why you know the Single Malt Mastermind is an accountability program. Are you going to do for yourself what you say you're going to do for yourself when no one's watching? Maybe not. Well, let me watch. So I run yeah. an accountability program for 100 people. You know, they pay me $1,000, $2,000 a year to send me an update every Friday. And it's, <laughs> it's fantastic because it's so useful. Hey, oh, I did more than I thought I normally did. Or I'm so glad I wrote this down and told you I was going to do it because it look at that. Yeah, we all know how to do a push-up. Personal trainers aren't normally hired for their expertise in physiology. They're normally hired for their ability to stand over you and crack the whip. Self-discipline is a big thing. I'm quite harsh on myself. I think I probably have a little bit more self-discipline than I give myself credit for. But I'd say if I had more, oh man, I'd have been retired by the age of 35. <laughs> you want to hit that goal? <laughs> no, that's real, man, because, you know, that's something. Thank you for that transparency. Self-discipline, we all struggle with it at times, man. But, you know, clearly you're doing something right. So, yes. Well, get- I think that we all probably have a tendency to feel a little bit guilty now because... Certainly, the algorithm on my social media is serving up an awful lot of productivity boosts. And if you're not getting up at 4 a.m. and if you're not having a cold shower and if you're not intermittent fasting and if you're not cold water swimming and if you're not doing all of these things, if you're not journaling every day, then there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. I've got friends who genuinely like that and they are so much the outlier. You know, for everyone who says they're a productivity guru, I know two who actually are. and They're superhuman. They're not normal. Both of them, who are dear friends of mine, have actually replaced one addiction with another, or a series of addiction. There with you go. Always the yeah, addiction go. to being the best possible self. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't, I hadn't looked at it like that, but that's so true. Second question is: What is the best lesson you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey? There have been so many. No man is an island. Nobody's self-made. A lot of people have themselves to thank. Well, it was my friend Todd Herman who says this over and over again, and I never really knew what he meant because, you know, certainly a lot of the American dream has been if you believe you can achieve, but it takes a village. It really does. And and yeah, we can have strong leaders and you do need the drive and the determination, the self-belief to not self-sabotage. But the idea that you wouldn't get help is crazy. And I like keeping things lean. I don't like running bloated operations with many staff, but collaboration in one form or another 
means that bridges and skyscrapers get built. Very, very little gets built on your own, really. And also maybe to keep a healthy sense of perspective, during the crypto phase, NFTs, very recent history, you know, the time of recording, these people genuinely believed they were pursuing the most important product in the history of mankind. And I was like, what, greater than sewage? Greater than central heating? Greater than bridge bridge building? You know, what? Come on, have some perspective. Let's not lose sight of ourselves. Something else my friend Todd Herman says is, I think it was Todd said to me, he said, can you name more than three famous business people from a century ago? No, a century ago, turn of the century. Are there a couple, you know, you've got the Rockefellers, but really we can only name two or three. So right. to be obsessed with leaving a legacy is a waste of energy. Legacy where we'll be remembered by generation after generation after generation. No, we won't. And I don't mean that to say, don't try your hardest. Try your hardest, but keep a healthy sense of perspective. Stay humble. Stay have some humble. fun too, man. Like that, yeah. that's helping people all the time. Like have some fun. Like don't get so caught up in it. Like legacy is great, but what is that? What is it truly? So, and when you lose that fun and everything becomes work and you're just grinding, grind. I've been there. So I always tell people, don't get there because when you get there, it's like you can eat the best food and it's not going to taste like anything, right? So we got to make sure we have fun and we we keep the joy in our lives on this journey because it can wear you out if you don't. <laughs> so third question is what are three tools or tips that you would recommend when scaling a business? You need a really good, simple newsletter sending system. Number one, it's just a massive luxury to be able to reach people in real time in their inbox at scale. You can hit send on an email that will go out to 150,000 people as easy as licking an envelope. Get one that works, get familiar with it, get comfortable sending emails that people appreciate opening. Very few businesses I see of all sizes are doing email right. Doesn't matter how big you are. Now, Amazon's probably doing a pretty good job. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I've, yeah. Been, <laughs> I've done business with, I don't know how many e-commerce stores over the years who have never emailed me again. I mean, some do. The vast majority do it very badly. You know, you have an opportunity. These people have done business with you. Or if they haven't, they've signed up to your newsletter. Mm-hmm. Why are you ignoring them? What's wrong with you? You don't deserve their business if you're not prepared to show up and say, hey, let's do some business. Related to that, say your CRM may or may not be the same system. You will not remember every conversation that you've had with people. You will not remember every follow-up you're meant to make. You might get hit by a bus and be incapacitated for a few weeks, which means your assistant, your second in command, your sales manager, your wife, your husband might have to step in and commit to the things that you said you'd do. If it's not written down and it's good CRM hygiene, super, super important. And again, I've seen insurance companies, global insurance companies whose customer data is spread over 16 different systems and they don't know where to find it. It's a tip. The acknowledgement that what got you here, and it's a cliche, but it's true, won't get you there. There's a reason why you know, CEOs are paid millions and millions of dollars in large organizations because it's a really, really difficult job to be able to. And if you've got your company to 10 million or 5 million on your own, congratulations. But if your idea of scaling then is up to 25 or 50 million, chances are you're far better off bunging 500K or a million a year to somebody who's done it before and who knows what's doing it. And this is 
about staying humble. This is about acknowledging your place and your skills and your capacity. I've seen people burn out with too many moving parts, maybe not even financial, but in terms of commitments, in terms of number of customers, because they believe that because they were able to do it with 100 people last year, they can do it with 3,000 people this year. And it's just a completely different kettle of fish. Absolutely. I love that, man. Well, it's been so, just a pleasure. So pleasure just speaking with you, man. So I want to know how can the people connect with you? Well, I would say you can go to matthewkimberly.com. You can spell that pretty much any way you want. But if you want to spell it right, it's Matthew with two T's and Kimberly L-E-Y at the end. And there's nothing there apart from an invitation to give me your email address. And if you do that, I'll send you a copy of my five things guide. And every now and again, I'll send you a delightful email. And who knows, maybe I'll come on your podcast. Absolutely. They are definitely delightful. And he has so much knowledge, as you've heard. So definitely go to that website and it'll be on your show notes. Well, remember everyone that is listening to keep ascending. Design that life and business. You don't need a vacation. We'll see you soon. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.